conflating this virus solely with sexuality will only lead to more illness and suffering. Never forget about trans people having to do sex work for a living. Through the course of that first week, I had a cough, sore throat, fever, full body chills. I was sweating through my sheets at night. But we're also seeing rash occur all over the body. The more steps that we take as individuals to protect ourselves and our partners, the sooner we can end this outbreak. This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. Budapest pride defies Orban's hard line. Hate groups drag down story hours in Boston, Chicago, Reading, and Bristol. And monkeypox outbreak sparks queer-focused town hall. Those stories and more this week, now that you've discovered This Way Out. I'm David Hunt. And I'm Wendy Natividad. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending July 30th, 2022. An estimated 30,000 people celebrated LGBTQ pride in the streets of Budapest, Hungary on July 23rd. Mayor Gargay Karachoni hosted a pride reception ahead of the parade for the first time. Just days earlier, the European Commission sued Hungary for its anti-queer, no-promo-homo law. The sweltering 40 degrees Celsius, 104 degrees Fahrenheit heat brought out the rainbow umbrellas as well as the waving rainbow flags. Marchers protested Prime Minister Viktor Orban's hardline policies. Under his increasingly dictatorial regime, LGBTQ people are becoming second-class citizens, and you can add any other non-white, non-Christian Hungarian, too. Originally elected in 2010, Orban narrowly won another term in April. The prime minister himself spent Pride Day giving a long-winded speech in Romania. He repeated his usual anti-immigrant and anti-queer rants, including, The father is a man, the mother is a woman, leave our children alone. The European Commission's lawsuit at the Luxembourg-based Court of Justice challenges a Hungarian law passed last year. It muzzles discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity in schools. Berlin also celebrated Pride on July 23rd with a first at the German Parliament building. The Bundestag flew the rainbow flag for the first time. Police counted some 350,000 Pride marchers and spectators at the annual celebration. Germany's Christopher Street Day organizers said that up to a half million people attended Pride events throughout the city. The theme of the parade is chosen each year through a public forum. This year it was United in Love, Against Hate, War, and Discrimination. Kiev and Kharkiv Pride representatives and other Ukrainian refugees joined the march as honored guests. Berlin's post-parade festivities were marred by two reported incidents of anti-queer hate. A group of nine people apparently took exception to the clothing of a 15-year-old boy and his 16- and 17-year-old girlfriends. The younger girl responded to their verbal abuse, and one man punched her in the face. He and his courageous entourage ran away. A 32-year-old man was chased by a group of eight bigots in the early morning hours. When they caught him, they pushed him to the ground, kicking him in the head and upper body. A woman passerby stepped in front of him to protect him. Guess what? Those courageous attackers also fled. Both victims were treated at the scene. 
Fortunately, neither required hospitalization. Earlier today, I spoke with Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. We had a frank and direct conversation. I pressed the Kremlin to accept the substantial proposal that we put forth on the release of Paul Whelan and Brittany Griner. At a July 29th press conference, Blinken commented on reports that the Biden administration has offered Russia a prisoner exchange that would free lesbian WNBA star Brittany Griner and former Marine Paul Whelan. The Kremlin would get the notorious merchant of death, Russian arms dealer Viktor Boot, in return. Whelan has been behind bars since 2018 for what the U.S. calls trumped-up espionage charges. Greiner has been detained on drug charges since February, when cannabis vape cartridges were discovered in her luggage at a Moscow-area airport. The high-powered basketball player's slow-moving trial is underway. She pleaded guilty in an effort to get a reduced sentence for the most serious drug distribution allegations, which U.S. authorities have described as bogus. Boot is serving a 25-year sentence in federal prison for conspiring to sell weapons to terrorists. Russian officials previously refused to make a deal until after Greiner's trial has concluded. CNN reported on July 29th that Russia had indicated through back-channel communications that it wants another criminal in the proposed prisoner exchange in addition to Boot. It could be a drawn-out process. Attorneys general from 22 Republican-controlled states are suing the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The July 26 filing challenges school meal program policies that ban bias based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Tennessee Attorney General Herbert Slattery is leading the lawsuit, based on claims that the Biden administration policy violates states' rights. To Slattery, the case is about a federal agency trying to change law, which is Congress's exclusive prerogative, as he told the Associated Press. This school meals program lawsuit comes on the heels of another suit Slattery and many of the same Republican attorneys general filed just last week. It challenges LGBTQ-positive anti-discrimination policies at the U.S. Department of Education and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. A Trump-appointed federal judge issued an injunction against enforcement of those policies until the lawsuit is resolved. The Biden administration has based its anti-bias policies on last year's U.S. Supreme Court ruling that LGBTQ people are protected from discrimination in schools and at work. A 10-year-old trans girl in Indiana can rejoin her softball team, at least until a lawsuit challenging the state's ban on her participation is resolved. U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of Indiana, Jane Magnus Stinson, issued the preliminary injunction on July 26th after deciding that AM's lawsuit has a likelihood of succeeding on its merits. After the state passed a law denying trans girls and women in grades K-12 through the right to compete in school sports, AM's parents were told that she could no longer play on her team. Lawmakers overrode the veto of Republican Governor Eric Holcomb, who warned that it could result in lawsuits against the state. Indeed, the ACLU of Indiana's suit on behalf of AM's parents against the law quickly followed. Similar trans bans in a number of other Republican-controlled U.S. states are also being challenged in federal courts. The leader of a neo-Nazi group and two others were arrested outside a Drag Queen Story Hour event in the Jamaica Plains neighborhood of Boston, Massachusetts, on July 23rd. Young children and their parents attending the event were harassed by errant protesters who believed it involved pedophiles exposing themselves to young children. The battles are in blue today. They got a good, good, a good video of it. So that men stood up. 
not the police. You guys need to arrest her. Hi, you want a flyer? You want a flyer? The National Socialist Club, or NSC 131, has chapters in all six New England states. Their stated goal is to create a network of white men to fight against the extinction of their race. The Anti-Defamation League classifies it as a neo-Nazi group. A kid-friendly drag show brunch would have brought costume performers, food, and dancing to a Chicago, Illinois area bakery. Too bad the joy was overwhelmed by hate when vandals broke windows and scrawled anti-queer slogans on the building, including groomers and fags rape kids. Uprising bakery and cafe owner Karina Sack announced the event's cancellation on July 23rd. Sack had first vowed to go ahead despite the threatening email messages and phone calls and even bags of feces left at the door. She gave up after continuing threats and the serious property damage, however, and reluctantly canceled the event for the safety of the performers, staff, and community. A local 24-year-old man has been arrested and charged with a hate crime and criminal property damage, both felonies. Police officials confirmed that their investigation found that the drag show brunch was not going to include nudity or sexually explicit content. Right-wing protesters are trolling British drag queen Ida H.D. She feared for her life when demonstrators invaded her Drag Queen Story Hour event in the city of Reading. Placards read, Wake up, this is child abuse, and Stop sexualizing children. A few days later, Ida had to reschedule a reading in Bristol after her team got word about similarly aggressive protests being planned there. The entertainer, also known as Sob Samuel, told Pink News, Families that are attending my events are kind of doing their own protest by simply just attending. The shows will most definitely go on. Finally, we propose a picture in the dictionary of U.S. Congressman Glenn Thompson of Pennsylvania to illustrate the word hypocrite. Thompson joined most fellow Republicans voting against the Respect for Marriage Act in the U.S. House. Three days after dissing marriage equality, he toasted his gay son's husband at the couple's wedding. You know, parents have hopes and dreams, right, with their kids. And as they grow and, and as they, they get a little older, uh, we also hope uh, and pray that they're going to find out one true love. As parents, we, we love it when they find out one true love, especially when they become a part of our families then, right? <laughs> or we've been fortunate uh, with three sons and uh, done a great job of adding to the family. <laughs> <laughs> That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude for the week ending July 30th, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm David Hunt. Stay healthy. And I'm Wendy Natividad. Stay safe. The World Health Organization declared the global monkeypox outbreak a public health emergency of international concern on July 23rd. Monkeypox emergencies have been declared by the city of San Francisco and New York State. 
In Australia, it's been identified as a communicable disease incident of national significance. Major medical studies have found that the current outbreak is alarmingly high among men who have sex with men, but LGBTQ activists fear that information and resources have not been adequately targeted for the community. Those concerns were addressed at a July 27th town hall meeting co-sponsored by the queer Los Angeles Blade newspaper and the city of West Hollywood, California. In the same spirit of public service, This Way Out takes you to the West Hollywood City Council Chambers for highlights from the presentation. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. My name is John Finolio. We have a lot of ground to cover tonight, a lot of questions to ask. The infrastructure of the LGBTQ health system, uh, there appears to be a lot of frustration that these organizations have not been adequately involved in the testing and vaccine distribution rollout. That's a problem. Uh, these organizations are experts at dealing with the intricacies of the queer community and our history with health emergencies. These organizations were actually created uh, as a response to a life and death matter and have since been repurposed in our community and are now experts at what they do. They are also on the front lines for providing health care to those folks who are working class, don't have insurance, or otherwise don't have anywhere else to turn. They are vital and they need collaboration and support with our public health agencies as we battle this current public health crisis. Please remember, there is no room for stigmatization. Uh, conflating this virus solely with sexuality will only lead to more illness and suffering. We also know that from prior outbreaks, a virus anywhere is a virus everywhere. How we respond to this current crisis will determine the health and safety of all of us. How we respond to this crisis will determine how we write our history with respect to this current outbreak. I'm Dr. Leo Moore, Medical Director for Clinic Services for SPAS 1 through 4 for Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. On Saturday, the World Health Organization declared monkeypox a global public health emergency, which is their highest alert level. While this designation doesn't mean a disease is highly transmissible or lethal, it is an indication that monkeypox is a public health risk requiring a coordinated international response. As of July 25th, there are over 16,800 cases of monkeypox across more than 74 countries. To prevent the spread of monkeypox, we ask individuals to be aware of the risks and how monkeypox spreads. It's also important to remember that monkeypox can spread through sexual networks. As such, and until we learn more, we urge everyone to be vigilant and protect yourself. Additional steps include avoiding contacts with materials like bedding and clothing that has been in contact with a sick animal or person infected with this virus, avoiding contact with people who are or may be sick with the virus, and avoiding contact with animals that could have the virus, such as animals that are sick or that have been found dead, washing hands with soap and water, or using an alcohol-based hand sanitizer after contact with infected animals or humans. People with monkeypox sometimes develop a flu-like illness with fever, fatigue, muscle aches, and enlarged lymph nodes, followed by a rash. In many instances with the current outbreak, people are developing a rash with or without swollen lymph nodes, which can occur in the genital region, uh, perianally as well, but we're also seeing rash occur all over the body, including in the face, near the eyes as well. 
People usually develop monkeypox symptoms 7 to 14 days after being exposed, but can develop symptoms up to 21 days post-exposure. Most people with monkeypox have a mild illness that improves without treatment over two to four weeks. Treatment is supportive and focused on easing the symptoms of the illness. Monkeypox is contagious and can be spread to others until scabs have fallen off and a new layer of skin has formed. As a reminder, there are no specific approved treatments for monkeypox infections. However, medications such as antivirals may be used to ease the symptoms of illness. In some cases, vaccine can be given to prevent the disease after exposure to the monkeypox virus. Anyone who thinks they may have monkeypox should contact their healthcare provider. If you're sick and could have monkeypox, it is recommended that you delay travel by public transportation until you've been cleared by healthcare professional or public health officials. On Friday, June 17th, I got a call from someone I had been um, around the weekend prior informing me that he was like 99% sure that he had monkeypox. Actor, writer, and video producer Matthew Ford shared his personal experience. After that call, I noticed a few lesions that I had not noticed before. It became pretty clear pretty immediately that I likely had monkeypox. And from then on, I was in touch with my doctor and the LA County Department of Public Health. A few days later, I was able to go in and get a test, um, which uh, the following Friday came back as positive. So a week after uh, when I first became aware that I had been exposed. Through the course of that first week, I uh, developed very intense flu-like symptoms. I had a cough, sore throat, fever, full body chills. I was sweating through my sheets at night. Um, it was a quite miserable experience. And you know, those symptoms lasted around five to seven days, if I recall correctly. And as those began to abate, um, more and more lesions began to appear all over my body. You know, the first lesions that appeared uh, were in, uh, on more sensitive skin and more sensitive areas, and then shortly followed by more on my face. And then as the infection went on, they appeared all over my body, arms, feet, shoulders. I think there was one on my scalp. I counted more than 25 total. And uh, at worst, these were excruciatingly painful constantly to the point that I was unable to sleep at night and I had to go back to my doctor and be prescribed narcotic painkillers in order to be able to even go to sleep. And at best, the ones in less sensitive areas uh, were still itchy and irritable and not fun by any means. But shortly after those lesions began to appear all over my body, um, the pain in the more sensitive areas began to let up a little bit. And in total, my recovery time was three weeks and three days. It's also worth mentioning that in that first week, I was voluntarily isolating. But once I had a confirmed positive result, I was issued a court-ordered stay-at-home uh, mandate from L.A. County. Uh, and so three weeks and three days into my infection, I was able to go into the clinic. They inspected my lesions. They cleared me because every single one had scabs, fallen off, and had smooth, uh, healthy skin underneath. So that was my experience, kind of in a nutshell. Um, it's worth noting uh, throughout this that I was one of the first people to come forward publicly and speak about my experience. And I say that because, you know, in the aftermath of that, I had a great number of people reach out to me and comments and DMs, um, people I knew, acquaintances, a lot of total strangers from states all across the country, other countries outside of the US, telling me, how much pain they were in and you know how afraid they were. Um, a lot of them didn't have access to great medical resources. A lot of them weren't familiar with how to get tested, what kind of antivirals or treatments existed. So 
hearing all that obviously caused me a great amount of concern, and I began to do a, a great deal of research on all this. My name is Mariana Marroquin. I'm the program manager of the Trans Wellness Center, part of Los Angeles LGBT Center. I want you to understand that there's so many trans people out there struggling uh, and, and, and having to do sex work for a living, engaging in, in risky behavior because they need a place to stay. They need uh, something to eat. And we need to make sure when we share information with the community that never forget about people in, in our community. I'm always thinking about like who is not able to, you know, go online and get an email, who is not able to receive a text message. We always need to keep in mind people who live in uh, on the streets, people who don't have access to uh, that kind of technology. I also would like to talk about our resilience. The trans community, as we know, we educate each other, we talk with each other, we support each other. So we need the resources also to take care of each other. Let's not panic, let's share the communication. Let's make sure that we provide that space to learn together. Um, I don't know if we have media in Spanish, but I would like to say something in Spanish in case that's happening. Um, quisiera mandar un mensaje para la comunidad que habla español, que no se alarmen, que busquen y que tengan acceso a educación sobre uh, monkeypox y que se unan y que todo el estigma que a veces estamos lidiando en la comunidad latina, la comunidad reciente inmigrante, reciba esa educación que es necesaria para cuidarnos y salir adelante y no tener miedo a lo que pueda pasar. Thank you. One of the most important messages we've been giving out through the apps and in all of our conversations is don't panic. Dan Wolfiler is the co-founder of Building Healthy Online Communities, a partnership of public health leaders and dating app owners. Monkeypox is clearly serious. Uh, it can be painful, but people aren't dying from it. And it's very different from other pandemics and epidemics we've all lived through. I want to start by talking about what have we learned from the 40 years of HIV that many of us have gone through. One is the importance of knowing people who had HIV, and obviously that stands true today, knowing people who have monkeypox, and that makes it real for us, uh, and it also can help fight stigma if people are coming forward. And I think we really owe Matt and others a big thank you. And I also want to thank the person who notified you that he had been exposed and that you might too. It's something we can all do. One of the biggest factors that affects our risk is the risk that our partners are taking, the risk that their partners are taking, and the risk that their partners are taking. That's what we call a sexual network. It's groups of people who are sexually connected. And you can think of it as the six degrees of separation phenomenon. Um, the size of networks is really important in spreading any infectious disease. And not that I want to keep going way back to the past, but I'm going to. Uh, one of the biggest factors in bringing down HIV infections in San Francisco was the reduction in number of partners. And Bill Krauss and Cleve Jones, who many of you have heard of, uh, who worked for Harvey Milk and founded the Names Project, and Ron Huberman, published the following in the Bay Area Report of the San Francisco Gay Paper in 1983. 
And they said, right here, right now in San Francisco, there are over 200 cases of AIDS, and we have decided not to be passive victims of this epidemic, but to take serious steps to protect ourselves and by making serious changes in our sex lives. We have stopped going to baths in similar places. We have greatly reduced the number of our sexual partners. And what San Franciscans did was important because even before most of our agencies were created, they were reducing the impact of the networks. And we're hearing people do that in San Francisco right now. 40 years later, the community is already stepping up. We hear that some of the owners of sex parties are canceling it, not just because there aren't a lot of people coming, but because they think it's the right thing to do to keep people safe. And what we need to be thinking about is how we take care of ourselves and how we affect those networks. And one of the ways that we can affect networks is through the internet, which is obviously a network in and of itself, and apps can definitely play a role. So while people blame them for a lot of STD and HIV cases, they also play a key role in prevention. Uh, in terms of messaging, uh, some of the apps have stepped up right away. Grindr has sent three messages out nationally, which is a big lift for them. Uh, we've also had Hornet, Sniffies, Paws Personals, uh, Adam for Adam and Growler send out messages, and we continue to uh, go to the other apps and engage them in conversations about what they can do in terms of informing people uh, about how they can take care of themselves and how to find a vaccine. And we're already seeing some people add, I've already gotten vaccinated for monkeypox on their profiles. The apps are also doing testing reminders and they're also providing links to information about HIV and STDs, about COVID, and now about monkeypox. And we're working with them continuously to find out what else they can do. It's also important to consider creating pods. Uh, many people did this during COVID with the number of people they wanted to spend time with. And what it basically means is people can, are creating small numbers of people that come to a mutual agreement that they're only going to have sex with people inside that group and have very clear agreements about what those strategies are going to be and commit to having sex just with the people in your pod so it doesn't spread further. Hang in there. This has been yet another traumatic time for a lot of us. The more steps that we take as individuals starting now to protect ourselves and our partners, the sooner we can end this outbreak. Thanks very much. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control reports more than 22,000 cases of monkeypox globally, the vast majority in Europe, North America, and other regions where it has not historically appeared. Vaccines from the sole manufacturer remain scarce. Will the community once again rise to the occasion? This Way Out is supported in part by contributions from our listeners. Some give a little each month. Some make a larger annual contribution. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. Thank you.
Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from David Hunt and Wendy Natividad, produced by Brian DeShazer. The Los Angeles Blade Monkeypox Town Hall was co-sponsored by the City of West Hollywood and hosted at the City of West Hollywood's council chambers. Thanks also to Sherry Lund, Brian DeShazer, and Tanya Kane Perry. The Isley Brothers performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our music. This We Out thanks the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Yavana Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trentum, and donors John Beaupre and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and the entire This Way Out crew, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on KPFT, Houston, Texas, WELT, Fort Wayne, Indiana, to NCR, South Lismore, New South Wales, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.